Good evening, LCM. Tonight is July 14th, 2021. Wow. And the title of this message tonight is Too Good Not to Move. Say that with me. Too good not to move. Church, we are completely excited about what God is doing in this body. He is speaking to us on Sundays, he's speaking to us on Mondays, and he is speaking to us tonight. We're excited about his word going forth in this body. See, the Lord has given us a clarion call. This clarion call has come in the way of prophecy. It's also come in the way of tangible signs that we can see. And this call has gone out to this body of believers. Our Father in heaven is speaking to us, and he is drawing our attention to his singular plan and focus to the one nation that is the apple of his eye. And what nation is that? Israel. Israel. See, LCM, you guys are learning to respond to this clarion call, and you're having your heart moved for his people. And our prayer tonight, it comes right out of Ephesians 1. So when you get to Ephesians 1, turn, when you get to Ephesians 1, Turn there and say, too good not to move. Hallelujah. As you guys are in Ephesians 1, let's look at verse 17. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Family, this is our prayer for you guys. This is our prayer because as a body, we are on a quest. We are on a journey. We're on a pilgrimage to know our Father better, and our prayer is that the eyes of your heart will be open, will be enlightened to the things that he has for you. Because having our eyes open, honestly, is really the prerequisite to knowing the hope to which he has called us. And that hope, that hope that does not originate within us, we can have hope because we can first see that this hope originated with Israel. Does that hope originate with? Israel. Just like Ephesians 1.12 says, that they were the first to hope in Messiah. All right. So here's a plug. If you're not at Foundations, why not? For those who attended Foundations Monday night, as we covered Jeremiah 31, 29 through 40, and reviewed the entire chapter of Jeremiah 30 and 31, we've been given uh, not just gold. Foundations is not just a Bible study. It's literally uh, reaffirming and, stand, and, and firming up our foundation in the word and how we read it. For those who attended this, we learned that Jeremiah was laying out what we know as the new covenant or the new testament. It's not something that's new at all. This covenant is first and foremost for the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Yeah. We cannot state that, uh, we, we cannot overstate that. We are literally learning that everything that we read in the word, everything that we read and we uh, take for ourselves is first for the Jew, has to be first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For those who are not at Foundations, you can get all the recordings. If you're not, if you're watching this online, you can get all the recordings on the sermon app and it would behoove you to do so. This slide should be familiar to you. Pull up that slide. Hope y'all can see that. Uh, this should be familiar to you. Brother Peyton uh, uh, gave us this Monday. We want to recover this. We want to rediscover this revelation. Grace and peace to you from our God and Father, the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, Israel. Y'all already on it. In the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Them first. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Was that not a a jaw-dropping revelation? We're going to get into that. To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us 
to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us Israel. in the one that he loves. Have y'all had enough? In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Good. You're listening. (laughs) And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect. When the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ in him. We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise and glory. For the praise of his glory. Somebody say amen. Amen. This is the gospel. This is the truth of the word that we are learning to to rediscover in a new way. Saying Israel is important, as we learned on Monday, saying Israel is important to the biblical narrative is a vast understatement. Almost like, almost very bad. They're not important to the Bible story. They are the Bible story. The Bible is not just... Israel-centric, it is Israel-dependent. Everything, I mean everything, hinges on God's promise to his chosen nation. This is so clearly evident in Scripture that we can see the Apostle Paul stating this profound truth about God's chosen people. Yeah, check this out. I know we just read through Ephesians 1 on the screen. But did you guys pay attention to verses 3 and 4? Because I'm going to read it again. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, and we know that to be Israel, in in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings in Christ. For he has chosen us in him before the, the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Man, the many times that I've read Ephesians and I've read this passage, it's never hit me like it hit me on Monday night. Did you catch that phrasing? Before the creation of the world, he had Israel in mind. Man, the truth of this statement is of monumental implications. Just, 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 just follow us for a second. Before he said in Genesis 1, let there be light, the father had Israel in mind. Wow. Before the waters were separated, he had Israel in mind. Wow. Before there was any dry ground or vegetation, the father had Israel in mind. Before there was ever a sun, moon, or stars, the father had Israel in mind. How incredible is that? And why did he choose Israel? Why did he have them in mind? It says it here in Ephesians, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Man, that is incredible. Man, there are, there are many nations, there, there's anti-Semitism everywhere around us, and we can see clearly here, before anything was created, God had Israel in mind. It's almost like when Jesus said in John 15, 16, get there, John 15, 16, you're going to want to see this. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. So that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. All uh, my entire walk, I've read this as, okay, the Father chose me and appointed me to go and bear fruit. So I need to get to work. And that is not wrong. It's just not the entire truth. He chose Israel to go and bear fruit. That's the very reason that I can sit here and stand before you today. That's the reason we're family is because he chose Israel to go and bear fruit and the fruit is being born. When did he choose the disciples? It was before they were even aware he had his eye upon them. This is a shadowing type of the father choosing Israel before the creation of the world. Jesus here is reminding them of how special they are to him and to the father. You remember that Jesus said, Father, I've not lost one that you gave to me. They were partnering with this plan. This was not something new. 
if you meditate on this, it should and will compel you to look at the scripture and the biblical importance of Israel differently. And what we're going to get to tonight is going to do more than just compel you to look at scripture differently. It's going to get you to live differently. Once you truly grasp this revelation, you cannot help but see this truth throughout the word. With this in mind, and as a filter of understanding, turn to Psalm 19. As you guys turn to Psalm 19, let's try and see if we can make some connections to just how important the people of Israel are to God. Psalm 19 says this in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaimed the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. See, we've already established early on in Ephesians that the father's selection of Israel was before the creation of the world. And as we're reading here in Psalm 19, we then have to ask the question. When it says here day after day, when it says here night after night, when it goes on to talk about their voice going forth to the ends of the earth, who are these things being done for? It has to be Israel. Because he has this chosen nation in mind before the creation of the world. And it is our supposition that the father created the son moon and stars to serve as signs to mark seasons, days, and years, as we can see clearly in Genesis 1.14. And he did this solely first and foremost for those who inherit salvation first, which is Israel. Paul, went on to, Paul goes on to say salvation is first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Now in this body, we are growing to understand the monumental importance of Israel, and we're the monumental importance of Israel and how biblically dependent the word is upon God's people. And tonight we're going to grow in this revelation. We're going to grow and grasp just how much it affects our walk, just how much it affects your daily life today. With that being said, turn to Genesis 15. So there when you're there. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. The word there might be devar. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Elizer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Isn't this amazing? God is speaking to Abram. And we've already established in Ephesians that he chose the nation of Israel before the creation of the world. In Psalm 19, he created the starry realms as a sign for them. Now here in Genesis 15, we see God speaking to Abram, who is the embodiment of Israel. A promise that he will cause his offspring to bring about salvation for the world. He is showing him a sign that he himself created. And he's doing this to show Abraham that what I have promised you will come to pass. As the, as the heavens are there, as the signs are there, as the sun and the moons rise and, 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 and set, my promise, promises to you are certain and you can bank on it. When we see the sun, moon, and stars, when we look at it, we can see God's workmanship. We can see, we can, we can, um, appreciate God's handiwork, right? We can even be compelled. We can even be compelled, but rarely do we ever think when we look at the sun, moon, and stars, do we think about God's chosen people. And what was the sign that, that God gave to Abram that this will surely happen? It said, look at the stars and so shall your offspring be. See, we have to learn 
as those who have been grafted in, we have to learn to realign ourselves with God's singular plan. Yeah, and we are learning. I'm, I'm even uh, listening to my pastors going back and listening to foundations yesterday and even today. I'm trying to get like them. How about you? We are learning to be able to generate this revelation. Uh, it's being given to us in amazing ways. But we have to take the word and we have to receive the word so that we can generate the same revelation. And more than just generating a revelation, we're going to generate a certain kind of lifestyle. And that's why we're being discipled here. Amen. Pick up in Genesis 15 in verse 6. We have to get this. Abram believed the Lord. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham didn't see anything change. Children did a, didn't uh, appear out of the sky. No pelican dropped the baby off. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God sent a clarion call to Abraham and gave him a loud and clear promise. Say loud and clear. Have you been given some loud and clear promises? Yes. Okay, hold on to that. That's going to be important. And how did Abraham respond to this clarion call? He believed the Lord. Amen. How do you know he believed? Because he moved. He believed, and you know he believed. You know why? Because he didn't stay where he was. Now, before we go and, and uh, begin to relate that to us, we're going to keep on reading the biblical story as it's written. There, this is a message here for us. Abraham demonstrated faith. How? By moving. And so was me. So must we. When you believe in God's promises to Israel, that is why we cannot, uh, we can't talk about this enough. We can't repeat it enough. We are realigning the way we see the word. When we believe in God's promises to Israel, in uh, past circumstances, in current circumstances, and even future circumstances. When we can grasp that revelation and we can express hope in his eternal plan like we're being taught to, you will have confidence in his word to you and express that confidence through action. Amen. Say through action. through action. Turn to Romans 10, 17. Come on, get there. Consequently, as a consequence of it, a consequence of this, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. I want to tell you, and if you've been through discipleship training like uh, many of us have many times, the word word here, the word for word, the Greek word for word. It's rhema. It's not, it's not logos. It's not just that you heard the word. You heard the word and God spoke to you out of that word, personal, very impactful revelation. And that word, the, the word that comes from that message, that is what faith comes from. We want to tell you, when God speaks to you rhema through Messiah, you, and you respond to it with action, like Abraham did. That produces saving faith. Amen. Not just, uh, oh, brother, you got to have faith. You got to believe. No, that produces tangible, saving kind of action, saving kind of faith, almost like a trust-grounded obedience. You think that the things that you see are signs of what cannot be done. When I say that, I mean circumstances. I mean your current state. I mean the way things presently are right now. We take those things and we see them as uh, every excuse, every reason why we can't do what God said we could do. Or we can't do uh, what he told us to do. We're not going to turn there, but I want to tell you, in Deuteronomy 9, when Moses is recounting Israel's journey through the desert, and he gets to the part where he told them to go up and take the land, we read that in another part, another part of the Torah, and it says that uh, our brothers, uh, they made our hearts uh, melt with fear. Yeah. We melted with fear. Yeah. But you know how God recounts it? He says, you did not trust and you did not obey me. Mm. 
So what we call fear, God calls you did not trust and you did not obey me. The problem is not the things that we see. At least if we get the right kind of vision. What we're learning to do, because of what Israel did, we are learning to look at what's right beyond what we, the, the immediate circumstance, right beyond the immediate uh, uh, deterrent from your obedience. We're looking to the signs. We're looking to the things that God has done, the things that he's hung in the heavens, the things that he's already set in motion. We're going to look right past the immediate circumstance and be able to perceive God's faithfulness. Look right past the immediate circumstance and perceive the actual signs that God has already hung. This is incredible. Abraham heard the word about the promised seed. So shall your offspring be. And he believed this word against all odds. All odds. Yeah, Grapple with that. How many odds do you face today? How many, uh, it may be a realtor, maybe a housing market, maybe work, maybe whatever. How many odds did you face today? It says that Abraham, he believed against all odds. And he responded with his actions. He moved. Saints, that is faith. That is what we are growing in. As we're learning how to interpret the biblical story, we're learning how to grow in the biblical faith. And that is moving on the word that God has given. This is, this is incredible. We love Abraham for the faith that he demonstrated. My brother said earlier, you know, when we say things as cliche as, hey, brother, just got to have some faith. Hey, brother, just pray for some more faith. By biblical definition, what is, what is faith from Romans 10, 17? Being able to hear God's word and respond to it. And that's what Abraham is doing here. And what's so, what's so amazing about this is he is, he is standing in a land that is, that is not his own. And God has said, I have given you this land. He's surrounded by enemies that are contending for that land. And God says, so shall your offspring be. And what sign, saints, did he give him as a promise to Abraham? What was that sign? Sorry. What was it? Sorry. One more time. Sorry. With that in mind, go to Matthew 2. We want to show you guys something. Look at Matthew 2. Picking up in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. These Magi came from the east because they saw a sign. They saw a marker. It's almost like when you think back to, to Psalm 19, that creation was voice was going forth as a clearing call to these magi, and these men heard the call. They heard the call speaking about Messiah, speaking about who, what Messiah was going to do, so much so that they believed it, and it showed up in how they responded. Then Jesus himself said in Revelation 22 that I am the root I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Yeah. Like how, if we, if we just think about this story, we don't just move past this. How did the Magi know the star? How did they know? Were, were the Magi there when God was speaking to Abraham? No. no. This, this is thousands of years later. And yet when they show up, they say, we saw his star from the east and we have come to worship him. With, with keeping that in mind, you have to know that the Magi must have known of God's promise to Abraham. Because the sign that God gave Abraham was look up in the stars, so shall your offspring be. And here are these Magi saying, hey, we have seen his star and we have come to worship him. Amen. Now, if we just look at the word, we don't get any indication that the Magi here are, are Jews. Matter of fact, they're, they're Gentiles who have heard the word and they're responding to it just like we see in Romans 10, 17. Hearing God's word and responding to it. They, these magi are, are, are walking and demonstrating the same faith that Abraham himself demonstrated. 
being able to hear God's word and respond to it in their actions. One thing, one thing that we want to point out here as well is it says they traveled from the east. There's, there's, no, there's no indication how long this took. It doesn't tell you how they got. It just says they traveled from the east. They traveled from a far away land to come to see Jesus. I want you guys to think about this. For them to travel through desert roads, to tra- travel through, you know, different terrains that are difficult to come to see Jesus, these men had to be compelled. Saints, when you think about your life, when you think about the word that God has given you, and you respond to it, and you face obstacles along the way, how determined are you? How determined are you willing to go as far as possible to see God's word come to pass? And this, this is what these magis are doing here. They heard God's word. They believed the word. They believed the word that was promised to first and foremost Israel, and they were able to express hope in that eternal plan. Jesus is a baby here, and they're coming to worship him because they had the foresight to see what this sign meant for the entire world and also for them. They had the confidence to put faith in God's word, and they expressed that same confidence through actions. That's why we're teaching so much about Israel. That's why God's singular focus is on Israel. And that's why the prophecies that are coming forth and the teachings that are coming forth are to teach us about the biblical dependency of God's plan to his nation. We have to grab this because as we know, if he is faithful and he is to his nation, he was faithful then, he's faithful now, and he will be faithful. And we're grafted into that. We can know for certain that he will be faithful to us. These men were compelled when they heard God's word and they responded to it. This reminds me of Isaiah. and We don't have to turn there. The Lord is speaking to Isaiah and he says, who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah heard the call and his response is, here I am, send me. That has to be our heart tonight. Lord, we have heard the call. We can see in your word. We can see the truth of your word and what it means for the nation of Israel. And because you are doing it for them, we have confidence and we have hope in this internal plan that you will do it for us as well. Church, turn to Mark 3. Say there when you're there. I heard Brother Nick saying uh, in, in worship at the tail end there. He asked if y'all wanted another jawbone. Another weapon to take down the enemy. We're here reading, uh, just reading here just now. It kind of struck me that these magi, they saw a star. They saw a star and they must have heard about God's word and they took off. They went. They have no promise that that means anything for them. They have no guarantee that they're going to receive any reward. But they went. Is that a challenge? Do you want that kind of faith to be able to hear God's word? No matter what you think might come to you, you have no guarantee of what's going to happen and you go. We can have that tonight. You know why? I want to be a man that is compelled. My obligation, not because I have to, not because I know what's coming to me. I want to be like Ittai. That just goes. That just joins the king wherever he is. And you know what? We can have that. Because he gave it to Israel. Picking up in Mark 3. So we learned about uh, the sign that God gave Abraham. He gave him a star. He said, Abraham, look up in the stars, so shall your offspring be. And we see the fulfillment, not the completion, but the fulfillment of that promise as the Magi come to worship Jesus. But now let's look at what Jesus came to do. Jesus was partnering with his father to do his will on the earth. And in Mark 3, 13, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Keep in mind, these are not Gentiles. We ain't made it to us yet. Like, oh, is it my turn? Oh, is it my? Nope, it's not your turn. These are sons of Israel that he is calling. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Just like his father, 
Jesus was calling his sons Israel with a clarion call, not to be mistaken. And he was arranging them in their tribal allotments. He was preparing them for what was to come. And he was strengthening their trust-grounded obedience. When you think about the disciples, do you think that they were more obedient before Jesus or less? They were more obedient, more obedient after Jesus. I apologize. Y'all got it right. I got it wrong. <laughs> they were more obedient after having interacted with him. Yes. Clarity. Clarion. Clear. <laughs> so knowing that you also know, and I think you can uh, empathize with, they didn't understand most of it as it was happening. <laughs> and you know what? They didn't have to. Because it was happening. Amen. Their faith was growing. Amen. As they continued to follow him, as they continued to receive his words and produce action with them, their faith was growing. As God is arranging our households, I mean, quite pushotly, this is your turn. <laughs> He's literally rearranging our households. Yep. Yep. It's for a stated purpose. It's not about where we live. It's not about where we lay our heads. We can sleep on dirt for all I care. God is doing this so that our faith might grow. So that our trust-grounded obedience would grow. So that we would look at his word, we would add faith to it, add action to it, and we would watch fruit come about. And we would continue to do that in a cycle, continuing to receive his word, to act on it. And see faith come about. Turn to Mark 10. So we, we see here, just like the father, Jesus is arrang arranging the sons of Israel. He's, he's moving them around so that their faith might grow. Actually, turn to Ephesians 1 real quick. Real quick. I keep asking, this is Ephesians 1.17. You can stay there on the, on the slide. I keep asking that the God of our Lord and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Amen? Amen. Okay, now that you got that. Now that that is firmly embedded in your hearts. Mark 10, 49. If you read in context, there was a man who was persistent in calling out to Messiah. He may have been, even been uh, being rebuked. Somebody say amen. amen. But he was insistent in drawing near to Messiah. And Jesus heard this. He hears his sons. He hears you. Jesus stopped and said, call him. The call is going out. So they called the blind man. Cheer up on your feet. He is calling you. Yeah. By the way, that cheer up on your feet, that is really important. We need to make a stone out of that. Amen. Cheer up on your feet. He is calling you. Amen. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. It may take some time to actually see God's promises happen, but it actually happened when you responded in action. Amen. He said, your faith has healed you. This man was persistent. This man would not stop. And so Messiah gave him what he was asking for. He must have heard about who the Messiah was. He was a Jew, right? He heard the scriptures and was compelled to cry out to the only one that could open his eyes. The only one that could heal. And Jesus did. He did this many times. For not just the blind man. But also for his disciples. He opened their eyes many times to the truth of God's word, and to the truth of his character. Many times you see in scripture, I see in scripture, 
I'm scratching my head along with disciples like, what does that mean? But you know what? He opened their eyes. And how, how do you know they opened their eyes? Because they went out and they bore fruit. They moved out. Almost like he was, he was too good not for them not to move. They would go nowhere else because they had believed he had the very words of life. They had their eyes open to see the truth of his word and they responded to it. Whether it meant hardship, whether it meant life, whether it meant death, death for them, death for their family. They responded to God's word. And that is the faith of Abraham. That is the faith of LCM. That is the faith that us Gentile remnants are learning to grow in. And he can do the same for us tonight. Psalm 119, 18 says, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. I'm a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. This is what we need. We need the Lord to open our eyes that we might stir up a hunger to see his laws, to see his commands, to see his decrees go out into all the earth. I'm just going to pause here for a second oh, as my brother is going over Mark. This man hears about Messiah and everything that he's hearing, there's opposition against it. He hears the Messiah is coming, the prophecy of scripture, all the prophets prophesying about him. And he's crying out to Messiah, and everything is coming against him. They're telling him to be quiet. I don't know about you guys, but I am the blind, the blind man. I've heard God's word, and everything around me, the opposition, the impossibility, the, the lack, all these things are against God's word and his promise. But what does this man do? And if we read very closely, it said that he shouted all the more. Amen. He, actually, he actually doubled down and said, I have heard the call of God, and I am going to respond. So when Jesus says, your faith has healed you, he's saying, you hearing my word and your tenacity to go after it and your tenacity to push past the difficult, to push past the obstacle and believe my word and respond to my word is what has opened your eyes. That's the type of faith that we need. That is the type of faith that we can have. Everything around us is saying, no, you can't do it. No, you were, you were disabled. You were blind. You can't see all these things. And God has said, come, my son. Come, my daughter. My word has gone out to you. Will you respond? God is calling us forth in this church. Can you feel the spirit moving inside of us? He did this for the blind man on the road to Jericho. And look at what he does for his disciples in John 13. Say so there when you're there. Come on. There, there. What's telling you to shut up? What's telling you to hush? What's telling you God's promises to Israel can't happen, therefore they can't happen for you? We get to tell those things to shut up. We get to. Full of joy. John 13, starting in verse 9. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, there's a man who wasn't, wasn't afraid to be rebuked. I admire him. Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. <laughs> he might have learned something from the blind man. <laughs> I'm going to go after it. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath. Amen, single guys. Those who have had a bath <laughs> need only wash their feet. I love y'all. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean. Though not every one of you. A man's feet in the Bible. It had a certain kind of uh, first time occurrence. Uh, it represented something. It represented uh, a halakha, a way, a way of life. The way he walked, literally. When, when Moses came to the burning bush uh, and he took a step toward that bush, the spirit, the angel of the Lord says, hey, take off your feet. Take off your sandals. 
You're standing on holy ground. I'm about to change the entire way you walk. Jesus is reminding his disciples that their sonship has been secured. You don't need a whole new bath. You just need your feet washed. And now what he was showing them, that their halakha, their faith, their walk would always need to be washed, renewed, and transformed. What are we saying here? Very plainly. You are sons. Amen. You, weren't, you didn't originate as sons, which should make you more thankful. Yeah, yeah, Less entitled, more thankful. Yeah. That God called you. <laughs> that God called you. As a son, he's saying you're already washed. I've already spoken to you, to your identity. But there's something you still need. And Peter almost missed it. You still need your feet washed. Your faith still needs to be transformed. How is your faith transformed? You're not going to find out before you actually do the act. We're going to have to receive God's word. We're going to have to get the rhema out of it. Get what he's speaking to us. And before we actually see it, we're going to have to move on it. I'm going to give you a silly example. Real silly. Man, this week I was tired. Staying up all night working, all kinds of stuff. I was tired. And I literally, I wasn't getting anything done. And so I, I got up and I, and I took a walk, just praying, meditating on what I read that morning, meditating on the word. And First Peter 4 came to mind, where it says, the one who serves should do so with the strength that God provides. Okay, I'm tired. But God, God's word says, the one who serves should literally do so with the strength that God provides. So you know what? I'm not tired anymore. It worked. Amen. <laughs> That's how we have to treat his word, though. I don't see it. I don't feel it. I don't see any way that it can happen. And it's still true. So I'm going to move on it. Amen. In Ephesians 1, catch this. We keep going back to Ephesians 1. You're not turning. I'm just telling you. He said that they would be holy and blameless before his sight. They were chosen for their very purpose. And his word is true. The they there is Israel, by the way. He was renewing their faith here. He's telling them, hey, you've are, you're already mine. You've already been washed. But I am changing the way you walk. I am renewing your faith as you respond to my word. As we receive his words, as we receive that rhema and respond to them, our faith will continually be transformed, as was theirs. But here's the caveat. You don't get to see the results of faith before you after actually respond. And there's no promised time limit on where you actually will see the results. We have to see God's word and, re and respond to it because it's right. When you believe his word to them, Israel, and express hope in his eternal plans for them, Israel, you will have confidence in his word to you. That is how, that is how you're, this is your turn. And it's really not your turn. You're just partnering in their turn. But this is it. If we can really regenerate the revelation of how faithful God is to Israel, that will inspire and animate our faith in different ways. Amen. It'll inspire our joy and our thankfulness in different ways. It's like I'm a slave working off in a field. And right across the creek, I see this father with his sons. And he's teaching them how to, how to do things. Things that I haven't been taught to do. And he's moving things out of the way that they don't even see. They might be behind the uh, 21st century version of a tractor. The plow. They can't see it, and he's moving things out of the way. He may be having them go the long way around to teach them. He is being a good father to them. And everything that he is telling them is coming to pass. I'm seeing that, and I'm, I'm uh, awestruck by that. Like, man, look at how good that father is. And then he sees, he hears, and he comes and he, he enlists me. He, he joins me to this workforce. What kind of effect does that have on you? On. That, that's what we're trying to get here. Yeah. 
we're not entitled to these promises. We get to, we get to respond to them. You know the reason that we don't have joy, uh, hypothetically speaking. Um, the reason that we um, grow weary in well-doing is because we have expectations about what our day should look like, about what our life should look like, about what our house should look like, about what anything we want should look like. And so there's this constant wrestling because it's not being met. But when we have the revelation that, hey, every good thing in my life, every God thing in my life, it wasn't, it wasn't promised to me. Amen. I didn't have any rights to it, but, but I, it's been given to me. So you know what? I'm going to work. Amen. I'm going to work joyfully. Lord, the word that you give me, I'm going to work to put it into practice Amen. because I see how faithful you've been to your sons. So I know that you are the same God. You don't change. You'll be just as faithful to me. This is incredible. The scriptures actually tell us that everything that was written in the past was written to encourage us that we might have endurance. Let's turn to Romans 4 in light of that. I want you guys to see something. When we get to Romans 4, say there. Picking up in verse 18, it says this. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Do you guys remember back to Genesis 15, after the Lord spoke to him a promise? It says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We, we can see here that his belief was against all hope. Against all hope, in hope, he believed. That's past the natural sense. That's past your natural senses. That's past what you can perceive. Against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed because he heard God's word and he responded to it. So much so, he goes on to say this in verse 19. It says, without weakening in his faith, without weakening in hearing God's word and responding to it, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Not God, I've heard your word, and uh, I can kind of see how this is going to happen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to partner with you in my own strength. No, he said, I heard your word. I'm responding to your word, and I can face the fact that although my body's as good as dead, I believe you. He was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. Not, not kind of dead, dead. And in verse 20 says, and yet he did not waver through unbelief, through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. He gave glory to God against all odds, everything that he could possibly see. It says that his faith did not weaken, but his faith was strengthened and he glorified Yahweh God. He said, although I cannot see it now, I believe you and how I'm going to live and act is according to your word to show that I have faith. In verse 21, it says, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. You're going to have to read that again. I'm sorry. Being fully persuaded it's almost like he had the title deed he was fully persuaded that god had the power to do what he had promised this is why it was credited to him as righteousness god could look at abraham and say this is a man that i'm going to partner with this is a man who has heard my word and he's going to press through even the physical limitations and do what i said that i'm going to do for him that's no different than us, saints, when God gives us his word. He doesn't give us his word when the, the, the sun is shining and you can just skip around in the grass field. He gives us his word. Think about Jeremiah as we're going through it in, 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 in foundations. He's given his word to Jeremiah in a prison. He's given his word to Jeremiah in a cistern. He's given his word to his prophets while they're in caves and their lives are on the line. How, how It should be no different in our lives. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of looking and saying, my body's as good as dead. God has given me his word. I have the title deed, and I'm going to demonstrate faith. These words, it was credited to him in verse 23, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit 
righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Church, we need to have the faith of Abraham to be fully persuaded. Come on, say fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. This type of tenacity, this type of belief, this type of faith is what made Abraham the father of the faithful. He was fully persuaded in God's word to him and his descendants forever. Now, it should be clear and clear, and clear that all these things were done, by, done for Israel. And it is astonishing that we could participate in such goodness that God has given to them. It is for them. His focus is upon them. And yet, it is a mystery that we have been grafted in. Like my brother said, less entitlement and more gratefulness for God's plan for his nation Israel. As we engage in, engage in this truth, it's impacted us in amazing ways. This brings a genuine confidence that when you can believe and trust God's word, the same one who set the sun, the moon, and the stars in place, and they're being faithful to rise and set and to come out at their appointed times, if we can believe in his word and believe that he is working in Israel and doing things for them, we can see that he is actively also working on your behalf. We were singing earlier in, in worship, by his blood, we overcome. We overcome every circumstance when we can hear God's word and act in faith. Amen. Tonight, we can see that he is still sounding that clarion call to assemble his body. Still got some moves to make. He is getting us ready. He, he is properly aligning us. He is, he is a master chess player, and he is going to win. He is, a, he is aligning us and giving us military intelligence. He's doing this both spiritually and physically. Just as he has done for his people, he is doing this for us. That's incredible to be on the, on the same level of God's focus, to see what he's doing for them and he's doing in this, and doing in this body. This should bring us hope. This should cause our hope to rise. Not just hope, but a living hope that does not die no matter what we can see in the physical. No matter what we can perceive in the immediate physical, we need to have a hope that hungers and thirsts for God's word. That, Lord, your word will be fulfilled. We must be compelled to believe his word. We must be compelled in the midst of the most difficult of circumstances. And we can see through scripture. That their lives, the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation, their lives are no different than ours. It's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. But his word will stand firm in the heavens forever. Ethan, God can fully persuade you that his word will accomplish what he says it will in you. Leslie, God's word can and will fully persuade you as you respond to it in action. That's the same for every last one of us. Yeah. Oh, that we will be fully persuaded that what his word plainly says, not some uh, uh, sotical interpretation that doesn't allow us to walk it out. What his word plainly says, yeah. it can be walked out. Yeah. We don't see it yet. We may not have the power yet, but we can walk out his word. That is what we need. That is what we want. We want to make this clarion clear, super duper clear. Now you're hearing us talk like this and you're like, man, like, yes, yes. We got to respond to God's word. And then tomorrow it hits. And you're like, man, it's not easy. Hey, we got this word first. I'm preaching at you, but I got it first. Guess who was talking to me? Not saying it's easy. It may require. No, it's going to require some saving faith, some faith that looks past beyond the immediate circumstance to see the the what is actually there. God's faithfulness, God's signs, God's stars, God's wonder, God's faithfulness to his people. And that will draw you in confidence. It may not be easy. It's going to require some saving faith, but it's not complicated either. It is as simple as us believing the word. 
and as supernatural as God working in our lives to bring his word about. You, don't, you can't get this in your own strength. We're not preaching some, oh, you just want it bad enough, you can have it. You don't get that in this church. That's somewhere else. If we know who our God is, that he is faithful, first and foremost, to the ones that he promised, and we were included in that promise, then we can know that he will move on our behalf. Amen. When you believe his word to them, Israel, and express hope in his eternal plan to them, Israel, you will have confidence in his word to you and express it through action. Amen. Y'all stand up with us. Acts 20, verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, come on, Marlon. I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I can consider my life worth nothing to me. If only, if only I may finish the race, and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Amen. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul was compelled, not entitled. He wasn't moved by obligation or what he should do as a good Christian. He believes God. He had an encounter with Jesus and he was secured as a son. And the words that God spoke, even the ones that seemed bad, he moved on him. He longed for him. Matter of fact, he left everything to pursue the words that God spoke. He was warned before that it would be uncomfortable, fast-paced, jarring. But something happened to Paul that we're praying happens all the more to us and all the more to you. God's word got a hold of Paul. God's word had a grip on Paul that moved him, that compelled him. It's almost like he knew that this was too good not to move on, no matter what it meant for him. God's promises got a hold of Shaul, the Benjamite, those who the promise were given to. In the same way that God's, God's word will get a hold of all Israel, we are praying that his word will get a hold of all of us. Not just all of us, but all of us. The Messiah had all of Paul. His word had consumed Paul. And we're praying now that Jesus' words consume us. As we get ready to respond, we can see here Paul's actions. It's very clear. Paul was compelled by the Spirit. So compelled by the Spirit of God, hearing that rhema word to him. No different than you tonight. God's word has gone forth. You're hearing his rhema word. It's a revelation to you right now as we're speaking, as we've gone through the sermon. And Paul's response is, I am going to Jerusalem. Nothing is going to get in my way. Nothing is going to stop me. When you, church, hear that rhema word, when you've been compelled by the spirit, you have to act. You have to go. No matter what it is that you have to face. And even Paul goes on to say, prison and hardship are a guarantee. It is a certainty that these things are ahead of me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Church, the call tonight is to respond to God's word by demonstrating saving faith. You've heard the word. His word has gone forth. Now it's time to respond. As we see in Paul's life here. This kind of tenacity of faith is why a lot of us are still standing in this room. This type of tenacity of faith is why we still, per we still persevere when we get a bad medical report. Churches, I begin to pray. Respond to his word. Respond to the word that has gone forth. Father, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, your rhema word.
that has gone forth tonight. Father, we can see clearly in Scripture those who believed in your name, first and foremost, the nation of Israel, that your promises are yes and they're amen. Father, as your sons and your daughters who have been grafted into this beautiful promise, Lord, help us to demonstrate faith by responding to the word that you've given us. Lord, cut away everything, everything else that is contending with your word. Lord, cut away everything that will not stand or, or will mean anything in light of eternity. Father, we thank you. We exalt your word tonight. Father, may we be compelled in our soul to respond, not just now, but tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. In the name of Jesus.